This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Robert Siegel. John Hodgman is a very funny man. You may know of him as a sometime contributor to the public radio show This American Life and on cable TV to The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Here he is on economics. They don't call economics the dismal science because it's fair. (laughs) Well, I I suppose not. No, no, they call it that after Sir Eustace Dismal. (laughs) The 18th century English economist who proposed making smokestacks out of children. I, uh, I actually, I, 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 I never knew no, yeah, that, it was, that a, was, uh... it was a very interesting proposal, but ultimately flawed. I mean, <laughs> if you make the smokestacks out of children, who are you forced to clean them? <laughs> it's referred to as Dismal's Paradox. Hodgman is currently in an ad campaign for Apple. He plays opposite a relaxed, cool, slim young man who is a Mac. Hodgman plays the tweedy, lumpy, awkward PC. Gesundheit, you okay? No, I'm not okay. I have that virus that's going around. Oh, yeah. In fact, you better, you better stay back. This one's a doozy. That's okay. I'll be fine. No, no, do not be a hero. Last year, there were 114,000 known viruses for PCs. PCs? Hodgman is a Yale-educated former literary agent, and he has the gift of being outrageously, quietly convincing. He begins at the absolute outer edge of credibility, and as if he's holding your hand, he walks you over the edge into a very funny mix of reality and nonsense. John Hodgman has written a book, which is now out in paperback. It's sort of an almanac of random and fascinating and utterly unreliable information. As you'll hear, Hodgman reduced me to gasping speechlessness when he talked about his book, starting with the title. Commonly, it is referred to in the vernacular as the areas of my expertise. But the full title of the book is as follows. An almanac of complete world knowledge, compiled with instructive annotation, and arranged in useful order by me, John Hodgman, a professional writer in the areas of my expertise, which areas include matters historical, matters literary, matters cryptozoological, hobo matters, food, drink, and cheese, uh, which is a kind of food, squirrels and lobsters and eels, haircuts, uh, utopia, what will happen in the future, and most other subjects. End title. End of title. There are yeah. subtitles that we could continue with. Yeah. Indeed. Well, if you'd like, <clears throat> I could read the whole book for you. Uh, that's... Let's start at the beginning. <laughs> I, I want you to talk about one of the subjects, uh, which uh, is an area of your expertise. Yes. And obviously an area of fascination to you, and that is, as you, as you say, hobo matters. Hobo matters, yes. Yeah. Well, in my book, I, I chart some of the history of the hobo movement, as it were, in the United States, particularly at its apex in the Great Depression, although, of course, it has history going back to just after the Civil War, when uh, Civil War veterans would tramp about on trains looking for work. But by the Great Depression, it had really become a singular subculture unto itself uh, of largely uh, unemployed men devoted to a lifestyle of drinking and writing bad poetry and wearing the same pants every day. And they would move about the country for mysterious reasons all to their own, leaving hieroglyphic symbols to one another indicating, you know, where it was a good place to get food or watch out the sheriff in this town uses throwing stars or other little warnings to hobo friends along the way. Uh, And then probably the most famous hieroglyphic, of course, would have been the letter H surrounded Mm -hmm. by sun rays that they would draw on 
barn sides or, or picket fences or carved into mashed potatoes at diners. It was seen everywhere in the earlier part of the century, and it indicated that it was time for hobos to take over the United States government. <laughs> Which, as you, as you recount in your uh, thorough and completely fictitious history of the hobo movement, they did well, succeed in, in getting the Secretary of the Treasury as, as one of theirs. Yes. Well, they took advantage of the bonus marches on Washington, D.C., when the World War I veterans marched upon Washington seeking their promised uh, pay bonuses. The hobos infiltrated along with the veterans and uh, managed to take over uh, some branches of the government, most notably the, the Treasury. Uh, they replaced the current Secretary of the Treasury with their own hobo Joe Junkpan. And, uh, <laughs> he, is, he is to date... Uh, history's only uh, hobo secretary uh, of the Treasury. In fact, <laughs> indeed, the, the only hobo cabinet member of any kind. And uh, the hobos uh, met their, uh, it seems they met their match in Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Oh, yeah. Well, Roosevelt was concerned about these armies of men who had left their homes behind, and he wanted to get them to settle down. He wanted to get them to stop trying to take over the government for obvious reasons, and so he devised a a secret weapon in his fireside lab, which, of course, was polio. But he never deployed it because he he didn't have to. Pearl Harbor happened and the, the hobos disappeared directly thereafter. No one knows what yes. happened to them. Some say they joined the United States against the common enemy of Europe. Mm -hmm. Others say that they went to the stars or to another dimension. Others say they're still out there today traveling the rails, singing bad songs from their rotted lungs, but most experts agree that they, they went to the stars. But you do, uh, you do discuss the secret agent uh, whom FDR loosed upon the, uh, the hobos in the guise of... Uh, oh, Walker Evans. Walker Evans. Most of yeah. us think of Walker Evans as the photographer in yeah. James Agee's Let Us Now Praise Famous Men. Yeah, great... that was his cover. Uh -huh. that, was, yeah. that was how he infiltrated uh, the hobo jungles and uh, was able to assassinate many prominent hobo leaders via a, a blowgun of his own devising. And he also had darts that came out of his camera. He was really a, a very accomplished secret agent, but he never was able to get uh, the leader of the hobos, Joey Stinkeye Smiles, who eluded him. And it's now speculated that Joey Stinkeye Smiles led Walker Evans on a, on a cross-country chase in order to distract him, in order to... Uh, create a diversion so that the rest of the hobos could escape to um, to another planet where they presumably live now. But you know, I should stop here for a moment and just say, please don't, because I can't, I can't pick up. If you do, <laughs> go ahead. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, hobo hobo Joe Jungpan, Secretary of the Treasury, never got credit for one of his most uh, important innovations. A lot of his innovations are with us today. The repeal of the overcoat tax, that was one of his innovations. The repeal of the tax on the lakes of whiskey and stew. I mean, if you have a lake of stew on your property, you don't have to pay taxes on it. And you can thank Hobo Joe Junkpan for that. But the one thing that really should have happened was he had a plan that would allow all Americans to make their own nickels. And out of wood or tin or lint, hobos love to make things out of lint, uh, and it was dismissed as hobo nonsense, but economists now say that if it had been put into action, uh, it would have ended the Great Depression just like that. Most most economists agree on this now, I think. It would be foolish to disagree with that. 
That is writer and performer John Hodgman, who is talking with us about uh, the fictional history of hobos, which is just one topic in his book, The Areas of My Expertise. It's now out in paperback. You can actually watch a video that John Hodgman did for us about the secret life of public radio. It's at our website, npr.org.